You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining us, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, how are you doing this week? I'm all right, birthday boy. How are you doing? I'm 37, so I'm You're doing pretty poorly. 37. Come on. My knees hurt. You expect I got anybody a weird to believe that? Knot of muscle between my shoulder blades that won't go away. You're 62 if you're a day. Look at you. My feet hurt. Just look at your face. Can't right remember now. where I put my car keys. Like an old catcher's mitt. I got Meals on Wheels coming later to bring me dinner. <laughs> well, that's that's encouraging. I'm glad I signed you up for that. Uh, yeah, it was my birthday this weekend. What'd you do? How'd you celebrate it? You were there. That was it? Well, when, I went, when we went to the brewery. I went out it? to the brewery for some beers with friends, and then my wife and I went out to dinner. And you know why we were able to do that? Why? Because the UFC was kind enough to schedule its Saturday UFC Fight Night 63 event in the middle of the morning. I so know I was done by like 4 yeah. o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And, that, yeah. and see, then I got to go to the brewery for your birthday celebration. See, I had wondered, I thought at first that you guys must have a big night on the town plan because I noticed that your wife was wearing a skirt of some kind, which I, I, I we can all see that where – Oh, somebody's wife is dressed up. They must be going to one of the nice restaurants. And then I saw what you were wearing, and I was like, oh, maybe not. Well, my wife is also seven months pregnant, so the items that she can okay. wear are limited to... That's that's a fair point. They're limited. <laughs> the items that I can wear are limited, but only by my, poor, my own poor taste. Yeah, no, and uh, limited is a good word for them. Uh, well, Ben, we didn't talk about this on the podcast. You got some good news this past week, professionally. One of your short fiction pieces is going to appear this year in the Best American Short Stories Anthology. That's true. So that is a pretty big deal. Yeah. Congratulations to you. Thank you. Yay. Yay. Now, this was a short story that had appeared earlier in uh, Crazy Horse. That's right. Literary magazine. In Crazy right? Horse. It was available online, so people actually read that one because they could just for free click on the link and read it. I think, I mean, I'm not totally sure, but I, I read the Best American Short Stories uh, anthology every year, and I think that I might be the first person to get an MMA-themed short story in there. I believe it, and that is a heck of an accomplishment. Whatever I can just, do to just bring the level of discourse down in the American literary It's going to be like you and then like Alice Monroe will have a story about livestock in there, Canadian livestock. Joyce Carol Oates will have a story about like running or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, running and probably also like undertones of sexual assault. Um, and then me. Yeah. Uh, with some, some damn cage fighters. Someone who is very smart in your writer's group must have told you how to fix that story upon reading its first draft. You mean my wife? Yeah. No, I owe her a lot for that. Mm -hmm. That help. Also, that other person. Who was Dan like, Brooks? Put, put a kid in this story. <laughs> oh, are you really going to... Is this what you're going to do now? You're going you're gonna to claim credit for credit everything for here? Your, yes, absolutely. All right. Well, I, I deserve it, frankly. I, I cannot <laughs> wait until your novel comes out. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, that's the thing. Don't pretend like when we discuss my novel on the show, like you're not going to sit over there and take a bunch of credit because we wish, know you are. I wish I'm just getting out in front of that. These poor bastards could have seen the early drafts of that novel before Ben Folk swooped in and said, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to fix this. See, I'm going to fix this go. and I'm going to make you a bunch of money. 
Well, Ben, it's exciting news from start to finish on the co-main event podcast this this week. Uh, new sponsor alert, Ben. Uh-oh. This episode of the co-main event podcast is brought to you by the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Ben, last week when we were uh, considering taking on the NASM as a sponsor, I emailed you to ask you about it, and your exact response was you'd heard of them, and they were legit. That's that right. That was what you said. That's right. A lot of people may not know this about me, but I was actually a uh, a certified personal trainer when I was in college, worked in gyms and whatnot, helping people get jacked. Um, so yeah, I know the, the NASM. So the National Academy of Sports Medicine basically offers certified personal training certification online. Uh, the National Academy of Sports Medicine is looking for people who want an exciting career in the fitness industry where you wake up every day doing something that you love. The NASM trainers improve people's lives by helping them reach their health and fitness goals. Don't miss this opportunity to start a career where you get to stay active and change people's lives. The NASM guarantees you'll land a job within 60 days of earning your CPT certification or your money back. Huh. So that... It's like you can't lose that's, almost. That's a better deal than I got through the uh, the ACE. I got my certification. I'll tell you that much. There you go. Putting the ACE on blast right what now. Here. What now? There's more though, Ben. Tell them about the special offer. The special offer, Chad. You get a 14-day free trial of fun online programs at myusatrainer.com. That's myusatrainer.com. Restrictions apply. See myusatrainer.com for details. So the National Academy of Sports Medicine, we're glad to have them on board for the, at least the next couple of weeks as the new sponsor of the Co-Main Event Podcast. And as Ben Folk says, they are legit. Totally legit. Three rounds as usual this week for the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, yeah, so Chad Mendez is still the second best featherweight in the UFC, and it's not really even close. Does anybody have a problem with that? And in round number two, Iaquinta's not here right now. The only person here is Iaquinta's protector personality. You can call me Raging Al. <laughs> That's creepy. And in round number three, we're not going to lie to you, this UFC Krakow card is pretty brutal. In fact, let us count the ways. Plus, you know you want to hear us try to pronounce some of these names. All that, plus Are You Fucking Kidding Me in Master Tweet Theater and just saying stuff. But right now, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from David Golden. He writes, how dope was that early start time for the UFC this weekend? Totally dope. I ran some errands in the morning, got home, and had the prelims DVR'd waiting for me. Finished all the fights up and still had my whole evening free. I know it's not likely to happen again, but I, but I could absolutely get used to that. Did you guys enjoy that shit as much as I did? You may have been able to pick this up from context from the beginning of the show, but yes, we did. Yes. Totally. You know what? I was thinking about it because, of course, we know that they did this one to avoid having to go up against other people's kids playing basketball, playing collegiate sports, uh, which a lot of people are apparently very into. Um, and I, I feel like this could become or should become a thing for, like, these smaller, like, fight night events, like, where, you know, there's not a title on the line. There's not even necessarily, like, a number one contender thing. I feel like you take a lot of the pressure off yourself if you move earlier in the day. If it's a, If it's not, like... Saturday night, you got to stay up past fucking midnight to see these fights. If it's just like, hey, there are fights going on, they start kind of late in the morning, finish up early mid-afternoon, then I don't feel like it has to be as big a deal. Like, it just seems like a little more, like, low impact, less re re requirements from the audience. 
I like it. I really wish that we could get into that a little more regularly. No, I totally agree with you. I think that if you have no choice but to clear out of your standard time slot to make way for the final four, uh, having the, the main card kick off at 11 a.m. in the one true time zone is like the second best option for you, second only to maybe not having an event that, way, that <laughs> okay. weekend. Okay, all right. Uh, but you, you're right that the, the early morning start time, the mid-morning start time here uh, is pretty awesome, and I think like for, at first like feels a little weird because you're used to having the fights on at night. And uh, maybe professional cage fighting feels like a thing that should happen at night. It's a little bit edgy, you know. Uh, but then once you once you kind of get into it, you start to realize, oh, hell, man, a lot of sports, including America's uh, most popular sport, the NFL, professional football. That's basically when it goes down is the middle of the day. And it's incredibly on, violent on Sunday and people get super into it. So I think you, you have a point there in saying that. Uh, you know, it's for every now and then, maybe these these fight night events, especially ones that uh, there's either a scheduling conflict or you're not sure if they're going to be that big of a, a ratings draw in prime time. Maybe like this is something that that we could get into this yeah. hashtag breakfast with the UFC. Yeah. thing. And uh, then it also since it's on during the day, it allows my daughter to wander downstairs and watch with me. And the thing that she does is sit on the couch and We'll point at one of the fighters and say, who's that guy? And yeah. then I'll tell her who that guy is. And then she'll ask 16 more times uh, in the next two minutes. I thought my daughter was going to watch this with me. She she uh, was a little bit disappointed that she didn't get to watch The Gruffalo, which is a cartoon show that she is fond of. But she was going to sit on the couch and, quote, unquote, watch the ball game. That's what she calls fighting Okay, uh, with her with her daddy. Um, and she did get to see one thing. There was a takedown. I can't remember what fight it was. But it was like a trip takedown, and she pointed at the screen, and she yelled, They're falling down! Not not inaccurate. That's right. But then she decided that she would rather go upstairs and play in her castle, which is a thing that we do not own. We do not have a castle. <laughs> okay. But she went up there and did that instead. So yeah. I just I sat say, down here and watched it by myself. Her calling it the ball game, I feel like uh, your daughter just classed up uh, a UFC event. Uh, well, that will happen when she's involved. Yeah. Next question this week comes from Luke Supahan. He writes... I used to really enjoy watching Clay Guida fight, the energy, the hair, the pre-fight slaps from his brother. It was almost always fun, or at least that's what I remember. Now I couldn't tell you who he's fought since Henderson. I blame his fights I blame his fights since as Ben said, looks like Guida got guided his way or Guida just guided his way to another decision win. Is that a quote from you? Yes. Not put, Ben I, Henderson. That was from from me on Twitter. Oh, okay. Uh, you, should, you should try following me on Twitter. I'm nah, actually quite entertaining. No, no, I unfollowed you a while ago. Nothing going on there. Vacuum. Mental vacuum. My question is, was he always like this, and I just remember the gimmick more than the fighter, or has he changed? Uh, I don't know, man. I feel like, well, clearly Clay Guida's getting a little, little long in the tooth, even just in MMA fighter years. He's been around for a while. Uh, so maybe he is starting to slow down now, but I feel like Clay, Clay Guida gets a bad rap here uh, for having devolved into being a boring fighter when he doesn't necessarily deserve it. Like I, I still enjoy watching him fight. It may not be, you know, the uh, the like swing from the heels slugfest stuff that he got into for a while there. But, like, uh, I don't know. I still like Clay Guida. I still have overall positive feelings about Clay Guida post-fight interview, which I believe we will talk about later, notwithstanding. Yeah, well, I feel like he mentions, you know, that he couldn't tell us who Clay Guida fought since Benson Henderson. And his decision loss to Benson Henderson, that for one thing, that was a 
super exciting fight. That was the one right on the the UFC on Fox. That first right. UFC on Fox, they where, didn't show it they on didn't TV, show it. and it was awesome. Uh, it was awesome. We were both at that one, yeah. uh, and that was a hell of a fight. Um, but that was also kind of the beginning of a rough period for him, right? Like he hadn't lost. Uh, he, he'd won like four straight at that point. He lost to Benson Henderson. He lost a split decision to Gray Maynard. Won a split decision over Hatsu Hayoki. Uh, got knocked out by Chad Mendez. Won a decision over Tatsuya Karajiri. Um, got submitted by Dennis Bermudez, and then this one to Robbie Peralta. So he was kind of, that was if you stopped paying attention to him, then I could kind of see why because things didn't go so great for him after that. But I still feel like even like this one, I mean, I, it was pretty clear early on that he was a better wrestler than Robbie Peralta, and that he could kind of do what he wanted there. It could take him down, and there wasn't a whole lot that Robbie Peralta could do about it either to stop it or to to do anything to get Clay Guida off of him once they hit the mat. So especially if you're Guida at this point, he's got nearly fifty damn fights. He he needs to go out there and get a win. Uh, once he sees like that's the path to a, to a pretty easy or pretty predictable victory, I can't see anybody blaming him for taking it. And it's all it's also not like he's boring when he's doing that. I mean, he's going for submissions there at the end. He's constantly on you. Like I don't feel like he's a, he's a boring guy to watch. Even though I do feel like I think what people respond to more is that there seems to be a certain like predictability to it that you know what Clay is going to do, and we've seen him fight so many times in the UFC now that maybe that's the thing people are are uh, not so excited about. Right, and with him, it could be a case like we talk about with a lot of guys who've been around for a long time and that we feel like we've seen like his best, you know, and that maybe his best is behind him now, and we we are fully. Uh, informed about what he's capable of and and there's no mystery there so maybe that leads people to kind of uh sell him short a little bit some of the times i saw some people on twitter making fun of the fact that on the ufc broadcast they called him a fan favorite but like if you go to ufc events and you see clay guida there like that is a is an apt description of him yeah because he is a fan favorite i remember i saw him one time at the ufc did outdoor weigh-ins in milwaukee one time while we were there and clay guida had drove his mom's car there uh Nice to to the event, and he was just like he wasn't fighting; he was just hanging out at the weigh-ins. And like, man, the people mobbed him, and he couldn't get enough of it. He was like, he's one of those guys that like legitimately enjoys interacting with the fans, I think, and he's super good with them. And that day, especially, took like a hundred pictures with people, and he's just very approachable, very affable. So he he is a guy who it seems to me, hardcore UFC fans really do appreciate him, uh, if nothing else, at least on a personal level. Yeah, you know. uh He's one of those guys I think about. We've talked about this discussion before where talking about if we did have a real MMA Hall of Fame, who goes in it? And then we're talking about you know, do we want a Hall of Fame that's just the elite guys or do we want a Hall of Fame that's also kind of like the awesome dudes of MMA? And Clay Guida is one of those guys where like if you're just talking about like elite champion fighters, uh, you know, he's not he's not that guy. Um, but if you're talking about the awesome dude fighters who have been around for a long time and been kind of a fixture, then yeah, you, you got to consider a guy like Clay Guida. And also, I, I don't know if you remember this part of when the that fight with Benson Henderson at the first UFC on Fox thing. Remember, we were there. It was in L.A. Yep. We, we walked, saw John Sally on the street. We walked down from our hotel to where the press conference was um, and... We walked by John Sally, and I think you know you you the country bumpkin here from Montana. You thought that this is just life in in L.A. Yeah, I see John Sally all the time in L.A. Yeah, that's what just what you do. And we got to that press conference that was over there uh, by the Staples Center, and they had the whole dais set up. Remember that? And they it looked at first like it was going to be Cain Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos who were the main event, and then also Clay Guida and Benson Henderson. And then like ten minutes before they started, they were like, uh, you know what? No, just 
just been just a, a Junior Dos Santos and Cain Velasquez, right. and they took Clay Guida and they sent someone up there to pull their placards. Yeah, took their little nameplates down, and Clay was already there at the time. And so like, I went over there and I asked him, I was like, "Man, that kind of sucks. What do you think about that?" And he was like, "Oh, you know, I just wish they had told me earlier. I could have been back at the hotel with my feet in the pool, man." It's like, "Yep, yeah, that's that's why you get in the Awesome Dude Hall of Fame right there, Clay Guida." <laughs> All right, uh, next question comes from Ross from Ohio. He writes, so Juliana Pena looked good this weekend. She fights at 135. She hasn't fought Ronda yet. If you're the UFC, do you feed her easy fights to give Ronda another contender who hasn't already been tapped, especially since that fight with Cyborg looks like it'll never happen? What do you guys think? Ah, boy, I feel like we are jumping to conclusions here to... Uh, I mean, I guess you could say Juliana Pena looked good. She came out and won that fight against uh, Milena Dudivia, who uh, who, it. who seemed to be gave every impression that she was a person who had been paid to come out and give uh, a UFC star four good minutes and then get TKO'd <laughs> in kind of dispassionate fashion by referee Keith Peterson. Um, she came out wearing, which I think is like part of her gimmick, but she wore like a, a plain black undershirt as a top with no sponsors on it. So like not it, for sale, it definitely sale, gave bro. like sort of a creative fighter, you know, this person isn't going to win uh vibe to that fight. And Juliana Pena, she did well, but like, you know, she gets Mount and then she's, she's up there for like a minute kind of doing some flailing at times, including uh the double hammer fist to the face, which prompted, I believe Brian Stan to say she was quote unquote playing drums on, on, uh, do Devia's face. Uh, so yeah, I mean, she won, but I would not say in a way that made me particularly think, let's build this person up to fight Ronda Rousey. You know, I, I think here's what the USC is thinking. You know, you do have a lack of fresh contenders at women's bantamweight. Pena won the ultimate fighter. So, you know, that's already like, I'm sure they were very excited about that prospect, uh, right away. She's, she's good looking. You know, she's somebody that you can kind of push. Uh, for if you're a fight promoter and get people excited about, um, but I also think that they are in no rush. I think what they'll probably want to do is talk about the possibility of her being the next big challenger for Ronda Rousey, and they'll want to talk about it for a long time and probably continue giving her fights that they think she's going to win. Uh, I think that they probably really want to keep her around as a possible contender for if you need her, uh, and you have to throw her in there against Ronda Rousey, and you can kind of build it up and get people excited about it. But like you, I didn't see a whole lot out of that that one fight that makes me think that she is really going to be a tough competition for Ronda Rousey right now. But then again, you could say that about pretty much everybody in that division. Like, who is going to be the person who's going to who who you look at and see? All right, now this this person can really go out there and give Ronda Rousey something. I mean, I think it's it's pretty much cyborg at this point. And I disagree that the the statement that since it looks like the, the cyborg fight is never going to happen, I think one way or another you're going to have to make that fight. I don't care if she doesn't make 135. Eventually the UFC is going to get to that point where they feel like no one is going to pay for anything else on the level that they will pay for Ronda Rousey versus Cyborg, and they'll find a way to make it happen. They'll have to. Yeah, and I think that, if anything, it seems like we're kind of inching closer to that, not getting further away from it. And you're right about uh, Juliana Pena. Uh, if they are going to proposition her as an opponent for Ronda Rousey, they are going to want to talk about it for a while because she just she doesn't look ready. Like to 
to see her come out and get this victory, it kind of reminded me of that Jessica I Alexis Davis fight at 170. Remember they did that? Yes. And like the winner of that, obviously, uh, uh, Alexis Davis went on to fight Ronda Rousey. But the end result of that fight was that somebody won, but we felt like both of those people would get smoked by Ronda Rousey. And then, of course, Alexis Davis did. I felt like this Juliana Pena win was very much in that vein. Like the, 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 she won and that's great. And it was, you know, her comeback from injury and, and that's a feel good story. But the overriding feeling I had of watching her win was like, yeah, she'd get smoked. Yeah, again, that's everybody in the division right now, though, because that Ronda Rousey is just that that good. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, or a concern that you want to air to the Co-Main Event podcast in future weeks, you know how to get a hold of us. You can go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That's a lot of fun. It comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes and, frankly, jokes. And it's totally free. That we miss between uh, Monday to Friday. Uh, and it's free, so you might as well uh, just drop your email address in there. We won't send you any spam or or anything besides the Breakfast of Champions newsletter, frankly. Except every once in a while, we might late at night like just send you uh, an email that just says, you up? <laughs> just Frowny it, face? Just in case we want to talk. Yeah. Can't sleep. Frowny face. Frowny face. As of right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, Chad Edward Mendez pretty much did what he does on Saturday at UFC uh, Fight Night 63, beating Ricardo Alejandro Lamas in two minutes and 45 seconds into the first round in their co- or in their main event featherweight bout. Uh, and I don't know that anyone was particularly uh, surprised by that outcome, and I don't know at this point if anyone is particularly surprised at the position that Chad Mendez finds himself in. Uh, the guy is 17-2 and two in his career now. Like I said at the top, it seems like he's obviously the second best 145-pound fighter in the UFC. He came in as the number one ranked contender officially on the UFC's official featherweight rankings. But those two career losses are both to the champion Jose Aldo, one at UFC 142 at the beginning of 2012, and the most recent one in a heck of a fight at UFC 179 last October. Uh, so this leaves Chad Mendez in kind of a weird position because he keeps winning like he's clearly maybe, you know, number one a in the in the featherweight division. But it could be hard to justify a third fight against Jose Aldo and the other upcoming featherweight contender fight next month on May 16th uh, pits his longtime teammate Uriah Faber from Team Alpha Male against Frankie Edgar. So depending on how things play out in that fight and how things play out in Jose Aldo's championship defense against Conor McGregor in July, uh, things could kind of be up in the air for Chad Mendes. Yeah, I think the things that he has going for him are, for one thing, both Frankie Edgar and Uriah Faber have a similar problem that he does, assuming that Jose Aldo retains the title. And so did Ricardo Lamas, frankly. So, yeah, you're getting to the point now where uh, it's not like there are a whole lot of people who can say, like, 
I'm a top featherweight. I've proved it in the cage, and I have yet to test myself against Jose Aldo. I mean, he's pretty much beat everybody there is to beat there, uh, except for Conor McGregor, I guess, and, and that's the, the big one everybody's looking forward to now. So I think if you're Chad Mendez, you can kind of comfort yourself with that knowledge that it's not like anybody really has that kind of promise that you don't have uh, as far as being a fresh contender. And also, the second fight was awesome. It was a hell of a fight. So you can kind of point to that and say, like, look, if you're going to have to do a rerun with this guy anyway, why not go with the person who has given him by far the best, most interesting, and closest fight, which would be Chad Mendes. So, and, and it seems like you, you hear Jose Aldo talk about it, and he talks about it as if it's it's a done deal that eventually he's going to have to fight Chad Mendes again. Uh, and I think we'd all be really interested. I mean, if you tell me, Chad, like, if you told me tomorrow, Conor McGregor's hurt, he's out of that fight, Chad Mendes is in. Uh, you know, I'd be a little bit bummed, but I'd get over it because I think like a third fight between them would be really, really interesting. Uh, but at the same time, like it, does Mendez win that third fight? I don't know. I would, I would have to say probably another close, awesome fight that Jose Aldo wins. And I, that's the thing that kind of breaks my heart for the guy a little bit because you see him in there against Lamas and you're like, God damn, Chad Mendez is good. Like he can do so many things well, such a good athlete and he has that power. Uh, and yet, what if, like, just because of timing and the way things work out in that division, he is doomed to forever be, you know, second fiddle to Jose Aldo? I mean, it's sad because you think, like, he deserves, like, as good as he is, he almost deserves to be champion. And yet you could see how it might never happen as long as Jose Aldo's around. Yeah, and people were asking him questions at the press conference about, like, going down to bantamweight, which he says he could make if the money was right. Hard seems to like picture it, that. Seems like it would be a tough cut to me for him because he is a fairly heavily muscled featherweight. And on top of all that, situation ain't much better for him at bantamweight where his teammate, TJ Dillashaw, is currently the champion. That's right. So I don't know if that seems like a, you know, a very viable option for him. But clearly there's a lot of moving parts still in the featherweight division. Uh, if Conor McGregor were to upset Jose Aldo, obviously that kind of resets the scales for everybody in the division, I think. Hard for me to believe that the UFC wouldn't skip over Mendez, though, to go with the more high-profile winner of that Faber-Edgar uh, fight against McGregor for his, his first title defense uh one thing that i did want to bring up though is this kind of like dark horse outside possibility and that is that both jose aldo and conor mcgregor have made some noise about moving up to lightweight uh jose aldo said that after this fight against conor mcgregor he's going to have a quote-unquote major announcement to make and if you're chad mendez that could either solo be album a solo album yes uh -huh. finally getting the band back together yeah. uh if you're chad mendez that could either be a really good thing for it to happen to you or like a doomsday scenario for team alpha male. Because if Aldo wins and goes up to lightweight and Uriah Faber were to beat Frankie Edgar, where I believe he's probably an underdog, but it could happen. He's a pretty heavy underdog, uh, a three to one underdog. Then I don't know what you do. If you're Chad Mendes, unless they're just going to force feed Conor McGregor, then into a, a vacant, you know, a fight for the vacant title, which could happen, but just a lot of weird possibilities right now for Chad Mendes, which is kind of like, a rude reward, right, for a guy who has done nothing but beat everyone in the division in impressive fashion except for the greatest of all time champion. Yes. Well, you know, I am, I'm always suspicious of the guys talking about going up a weight class, especially from like featherweight to lightweight. I feel like it's a really popular thing to do and it's a good way to kind of make some headlines and it's the kind of thing that you could just talk about indefinitely without ever, ever having to do it. So I don't know. I, I'll, I'll believe that when it happens, I guess. I'm curious, though. You think Conor McGregor goes out there and beats Jose Aldo. And by the way, it would be a, a slight upset, according to the odds. Right. Uh, definitely a less huge of upset, up according to uh, 
reality. <laughs> it would be far less, odds wise, it would be far less of an upset than if Uriah Faber were to beat Frankie Edgar, uh, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. But say he goes out there and he beats Jose Aldo, you don't think the USC turns right around and does an instant rematch and just says, like, all right, we'll take more of oh. your money, please. Uh, we're doing it again, brother. You don't think that happens? I think that's exactly what they do, especially with as long as Jose Aldo has held the title. I think they, they turn right around and book the fight again. Yeah, that's yeah, that's probably a, a a great possibility, and would I assume depend on how that fight goes, and uh, you know everybody's health. Jose Aldo's health is always gonna gonna be an issue. Um, I guess I was just thinking in terms of like those contenders, Mendez, and then the winner of of Edgar or Faber. That like clearly the Faber Edgar winner will be a little bit higher profile in terms of like pay per view sales that's I would true think. so i well, would think that they would get the nod over favor but like if if mcgregor and and aldo have a crackerjack yeah man you might want to do that again although i don't think you got to read between the lines too deeply to see that conor mcgregor would be a dude that the ufc would like to have as its featherweight champion and maybe if he beats jose aldo cut your losses at that point okay well but then what do you do like i i think that the like the good thing about conor mcgregor from the ufc's standpoint is that you can put him up against pretty much anybody in the division right now, and he'll find a way to make it into a right. a real free-for-all in the lead-up to the fight and get everybody hyped for it. He's already kind of done it a little bit with Chad Mendes, and they, they haven't even been talked about being booked against each other. Right. So he already well, he's has done it with Rafael Dos Anjos, who's not even in his <laughs> there. You go in his division. He could he could, they could pick up a, a McGregor Mendes uh, rivalry just in in mid-step there and roll with it. Uh, I wonder though, like if you're Chad Mendez, I was thinking about this after his win. Are you, and you're looking at this fight, are you hoping like, hey, I hope McGregor becomes the champion because I feel like style wise, I have a better chance of going in there and taking that belt off of him than I do off of Jose Aldo. Yeah, well, then that you haven't fought him yet, so that would be a fresh matchup. Like, I think everybody kind of wants Conor McGregor to come out of this thing with the title if you're like Frankie Edgar or Uriah Faber. Like, you know, Jose Aldo turns Uriah Faber's leg to hamburger and then, like, had a, a close-ish but clear-cut win over Frankie Edgar. Like we've been saying on this show for a long time, I feel like all those guys are probably licking their chops thinking that Conor McGregor could come out of this thing the champion. I, the genius of Conor McGregor, though, I think, is that, like, even if he loses, like, it, like we've talked a lot about what will happen on this show if he loses. I feel like at this point, if he loses, he doesn't even suffer that big of a setback. Like, you can take him and plug him in against Lamas or Faber or Edgar whoever loses that fight and it'll be fine. He'll just go on doing the thing that he does. And, and you know, he won't, won't necessarily suffer an enormous setback, especially since he's so damn young. It's like 26 years old. Before we move on, let's talk a little bit about Ricardo Lamas. He came out clearly with a little bit of a height and a little bit of a reach advantage in this fight and looked like early on, he wanted to try to use his kicks to keep Chad Mendes away from him. And uh, for like a minute, that was a, a good strategy. It seemed like it, it was working a little bit. Then Chad Mendes hit him right on top of the head, which I think probably speaks to how hard Chad Mendes hits because you hit a guy on top of the head. He normally doesn't drop like that. Lamas goes goes down but then after that it takes mendez a good another minute to finish him and frankly look uh, ricardo lamas never really stopped looking game about things like he was scrambling for position the whole time clearly comes out of this fight looking like a tough and and you know uh, uh a guy a guy who's going to go out there and give you his all but at the same time at the end of this chad mendez has to look at dan mergliata and give him the like Anytime you're ready, man. I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. keep pounding this guy. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you mentioned that it took Chad Mendes uh, another minute to finish him. 
I thought that it was really uh, – it showed some maturity on Chad Mendez's part. That, yeah, he that, looked very poised. Yeah, and was not just doing the thing of like I'm going to throw this flurry of punches so that the referee is kind of obligated to go in. It was kind of like, all right, I'm going to move into a good position, pick my spots, uh, and make every single one of them count. And you're right, though, that Ricardo Lamas did try to battle back in there. You know, he was getting up even though his legs clearly weren't under him anymore. Um, and you got to feel bad for the guy a little bit there. It also feels like – you know, when you, I think, kind of put some things in perspective, because when you think about Ricardo Lamas's fight with Aldo, which was not even a very good performance by Lamas, uh, and he goes five rounds with Jose Aldo and kind of comes on strong there at the end, and then Chad Mendez goes in there and absolutely blitzes him, and it kind of, you know, he's a guy who's only lost to Aldo and Mendez, so it kind of puts it in perspective where you see like, okay, maybe you got these two guys at the top of the division, and then you got, you know. 50 feet of crap and everybody else. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's the kind of thing that I think not only it puts what Chad Mendes can do in perspective, but it also puts Jose Aldo in perspective too. Yeah, it really does. And the featherweight division is so hot right now. It's just going to continue being kind of awesome for the next, you know, two or three months. And like we said, a lot of moving parts. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to Chad Mendes, what happens with the title, what happens with Frankie Edgar and, and, uh, uh, Uriah Faber, and now what happens with Ricardo Lamas and what they will do with him next. Uh, Cub Swanson's fighting, I think, on this upcoming uh, fight night card, or or uh, is he on that pay-per-view? Is he on the 186, whatever it is? He's on something coming up here. He might be. So, you know, he could Yes, just... no, he's on the uh, the UFC on Fox. Oh, that's uh, right. About, which, actually, I was looking at that card the that's other day. That's a good card. That is a good... You got uh, Machida and Rockhold there at the top, right? Uh, you got uh, Jacques Array. Jacare. Thank you. And you all Romero. Uh, you got Cub Swanson and Max Holloway, which is, I think, a sleeper of a, a fight. Actually, right. style-wise, seems like a pretty interesting one. And then you got Fleece Herrig versus uh, your girl Paige Van Zandt. Right, yeah. And whoever wins that uh, Cub Swanson-Max Holloway fight probably could get right back in the, the contender hunt. So it'll be interesting to see what happens at 145 pounds. As for right now, though, Sir Nigel Longstock's here. He's going to lead us in a game of Master Tweet Theater. It's been a while since we've seen him, so we're dying to find out where he's been. That starts right now. Well, it's that time again. We welcome back to the show noted theatricalist and friend of the podcast, Sir Nigel Longstock. Good day to you, sir. I am more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Well, I i mean, that's probably likely because I imagine you as being not at all powerful. Well, that's probably accurate, but I'm still a little more powerful than that. Well, good. We're glad to see you uh, make your way back here. Uh, we won't even ask where you've been because we're sure we don't want to hear the answer. Uh, is there a theme for this week's Master Tweet Theater? Yes, sir, there is. The theme is the long, dark Easter of the soul. <sighs> you know, I... On one hand, I like that you set the bar high for yourself. And on another, I feel like, you know, it's sad to see you do this to yourself. All of these tweets are from Easter Sunday, sir. An <laughs> so that's theme. that's all it takes to yes, qualify them. Yes, it's quite easy to meet the conditions of this theme. Okay, well, somehow I still feel like you'll mess it up, but go ahead. <clears throat> Tweet the first. Blood, sweat, and respect. First two you give. Last one you earn. Dwayne Johnson. 
Oh, that's a quote. Of- a quote from Mr. Dwayne Johnson. I assume Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but perhaps, you know, Dwayne the Property Casualty Insurance Agent Johnson. Well, Chad, you're a pro wrestling, Mark. You you have any ideas here? No, but I guess I will guess women's bantamweight champion Ronda Rousey. They're bros. Oh, that's a good guess, actually. God damn you. Um, I'm going to say Josh Barnett, just because it... I was I was thinking Josh Barnett before he added the Dwayne Johnson thing, so I'm just going to stick with my my original impulse there. Both fine guesses, both bros with pro wrestlers, and both wrong. It is Rich Franklin. Wow. Damn it! Inspirational right quote monger Rich Franklin. Do you, have you noticed? I don't know if this happens to you guys, but now whenever Rich Franklin, like not every time, but when he, frequently when he tweets out an inspirational quote, somebody will send it to me on Twitter and with just like a, the hashtag the other Randy Couture. And they include Rich Franklin's Twitter handle in this, so he must have seen this by now and be, be somehow either he's totally confused or has to be forced to feel some way about being the other Randy Couture as far as Twitter is concerned. I assume he believes he is the other Randy Couture of fighting okay. and not of tweeting. Sure. Mm. Also, blood, sweat, and respect, not an established unit of figurative language. You can't just... <laughs> That's your problem with that? Cookies, cake, and respect. The first <laughs> two you bake. The other you have to earn. <laughs> That's actually not bad. Yes, I've got a million of those. Mm-hmm. Came up with them on the way over in traffic. <laughs> Good work. <laughs> Tweet the second. Sheep have their place in the order of things, and I respect that. But sheep need to stay in their place because I'm trying to eat. It comes with a meme image as well. Can you tell us about the meme image without giving anything away? Yes. The meme image is a picture of a wolf. And it says, a wolf doesn't concern himself with the images, oh, sorry, with the opinions of sheep. Oh. Familiar imagery that MMA fighters seem to love, no? Mm-hmm. They, they really love, like, both, like, you know, that everyone else is sheep and they are either wolves, sometimes lions. Yeah. Um, well, the lion head thing is pretty played out at this point. So give this person, whoever it is, credit with being a little bit ahead of the curve. Uh, I'm going to guess Rampage Jackson due to uh, dislike for his haters and uh, self-aggrandizement uh-huh. and general wolf love. Okay, that's not bad. Um, first of all, I'm going to say... Get it through your fucking heads. You're all human beings. We're all just people. And that's fine. God damn it. Stop we with the... All one. Stop. Thank you, Chad. Stop with the fucking animal imagery. Sheep uh, talk. And then I'm going to say the poet Philip Baroni. Both fine guesses. Both admirers of predators. Only one correct. It is Quentin Rampage oh! Jackson. Yes! That, I got to give it to you. That was just good deductive reasoning yeah, on your part. And I, I, mean, I didn't even know because clearly I stopped following Rampage Jackson on Twitter long ago. Because you a hater? Yes. He's really taken a heel turn. I assume he's aware of it, but obvious narcissist Quentin Jackson. Yeah. Well, I mean, he is the guy who got arrested on the uh, crazy uh, run around in a truck with his picture on the side of it incident. So oh, true. to accuse such a man of being a narcissist is maybe not an earth-shattering accusation. Also, consider the new nickname Rampage Quint Injunction. Huh? Let's move on. Okay. <clears throat> Tweet the third. Not sure if inhaling a dozen oysters and an acorn squash at the Houston airport before a 10-hour flight to Brazil was a wise choice. We'll see. Huh. Jad, what what do you think? You got a you got a look on your face. Unfortunately, I know that one. I saw it retweeted by somebody. That is uh, Carlos Condit, or Carlos Conduit. 
Okay. Well, I, I have no uh, reason to think you're wrong, so I'll, I'll abstain. It is, it is Carlos Condit warning fight fans that he is probably going to take a dump. Is that, is that where we were going with that one? I assume that is his implication, yes. Uh, well, I was, I was gonna go aphrodisiac route with the oysters, but okay, you're oh, probably right. right. What about acorn squash? Does that make you poop or have sex? Noted aphrodisiac acorn squash. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, vegetarians have to get a bone or two, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> have to. <laughs> Don't know how they could. <clears throat> Tweet the fourth. Cruising with a couple of my boys in PB. I'm at Miller's Field. Where's the spot? Okay, I'm gonna say Chris Lieben. What is? Do we know what PB is? Do you have I'm, any idea? I'm assuming it's Pacific Beach in San Diego. Oh, oh, Miller's Field. I thought it was Pittsburgh, but that's uh, that's what, a good Pensco guess then. I guess Park, Penskumping Park, Pirates Park. I have no idea what Miller's Field. PNC is. Park in Pittsburgh. Ah, uh, boy, Chris Lieben's a good guess there. I think. Um, I'm gonna go poet Philip Baroni because he could be cruising with his boys. I don't know. He could be. Both fine guesses, both boys cruisers. Only one correct. It's Chris Levin. What? Where's the spot? See, I figured you nailed that one. Well, you know what? And what you didn't take into account is most of Philip Baroni's boys are in jail by this okay. point. <laughs> Good point. The spot, the party is on cell block D. <clears throat> Tweet the fifth. Who cares? I'm sorry? Who cares? You don't even want to try to do anything fun with inflection on that one and there's, maybe give us an idea no what the hell's going punctuation. on. punctuation. No question mark even because, you know, who cares? Michael Bisping? Uh, that's that's a good guess. Uh, it's been a while since we've had Sir Nigel on. It seems like he would want to do his Bisping impression. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe like Ally Aquinta? All right. I'm just going to guess. Okay. Hmm. Both fine guesses. Both, as usual, wrong. It is Phil Baroni. Oh, damn God, you. Damn the poet experiences a moment of ennui and tweets it. So, could I guess, was there anything before or after this that gave us any kind of clues what's going on with the no, poet? No, there was not. I almost wonder if he was trying to text someone and just open Twitter by mistake. Huh. Because okay. who cares? And then he's like, well, people will care about this and tweets it. <laughs> To his followers. <laughs> well, the mystery of the poet Philip Baroni only deepens. I guess that's it for uh, this edition of Master Tweet Theater. So, Nigel, what do you got going on? You know, it's funny you should ask, sir. I've just finished wrapping a fascinating project. It's a romantic comedy in which John Travolta, who loves disco, has to navigate his relationship with Jimmy Fallon, who loves Red Sox baseball. I see. And what's it called? It's called Saturday Night Fever Pitch. And what role do you play? I play a drunk baseball fan who keeps interrupting their date by laughing at Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> the most challenging role of my career. <laughs> well, that was Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock. Thank you, sir. Chad, are you booing me? You better not fucking boo me. I fought my ass off in here. Fuck you. I'm just sitting over here giving you the finger. Man. Like a little kid in the crowd. <laughs> you know. Fairfax, Virginia. It's. 
I feel like we all, as we were watching Al Iaquinta stand there, we're awaiting the decision. We know it's going to be, you know, an interesting decision. It's a close fight. Uh, could be scored a lot of different ways, depending on what you value in a fight. Uh, he wins the split decision and Masvidal immediately leaves the cage, rips off his shirt. Everything, you know, he's, he's really mad. And as I was watching that, I was thinking like, Oh, poor form, Masvidal. Like that's, <laughs> you know, people are going to be talking about how that was not great sportsmanship on, on your part. I was wrong because no one is talking about Masvidal storming out of the cage after the decision was announced without shaking Ayakita's hand or any of that. No one even really seems to remember that that happened because Al Ayakita went full raging Al on the Fairfax crowd. I think we all can understand a frustration when you hear the boos after a fight like that. I, I for one... I don't know if I've ever seen a fighter take it in that direction where not only did he seem to immediately interpret the boos as toward him, which I think we all usually don't we understand that those boos are saying I disagree with the decision, not I think you, the winning fighter, suck. But he asked the crowd if they were booing him and then he paused as if waiting for an answer, as if an arena full of people could explain to him respectfully, no, we disagree with the decision, uh, although we respect your effort. Like what was what what the hell is that? What's going on there, Chad? Yeah, this I think is going to turn out to be a story with a lot of twists and turns in it because <laughs> you know, for a good long time there it seemed like uh Jorge Masvidal was kind of going to roll in this fight. I thought he was clearly ahead through two rounds uh and you know, if he had gone on to get this decision then suddenly he's 7 and 1 in the UFC, his only loss in the octagon would be to Rustam Habalov. Uh, I think by decision, um, and the, you know, that we would probably be talking about this as kind of a showcase fight for Masvidal instead, you know, Iaquinta could have packed up the tent and headed home, but he didn't to his credit, I think came back in the third round and made it close and close enough that two judges ended up giving him the fight 29, 28, uh, which I think, you know, you got to kind of give him props for that. And then of course, obviously, uh, he, he kind of goes berserk on the crowd and in the moment that seems kind of ugly and uncalled for and like, Oh, bad form ally Quinta. But like now that we're a couple of days removed from it, I'm kind of starting to feel the other way about it. Uh, and I, I have a thing up on bleacher report right now about this. And that's that like, we didn't really have an emotional investment in Ally Quinta one way or another leading up to this fight. I think we were all excited for the Masvidal fight as a like kind of a fight of the night quality fight where two guys who are exciting strikers could bring it. But we knew that I Quinta was this guy who'd wrecked his hotel room and made these funny jokes about how he's going to learn Spanish and pick up the senoritas when he fights in Mexico. And we liked him, I think a little bit because his coaches were uh, Ray Longo and Matt Sarah. Yeah, it's a good starting but, point. But like, we didn't really know how to feel about this guy. And now suddenly coming out of this fight, he seems more interesting. Like, I feel like we're a little bit more invested now to see what he does next, especially if what he does next is a rematch with Jorge Masvidal, which I feel like would be, you know, maybe a higher profile fight than he would have gotten even if he had just won without controversy. So, like, in weird, typical mixed martial arts fashion, I feel like we're going to take this situation where almost anyone else would have been fired from their job, including in sports, and like this is going to turn out to be a positive for him from him in a long run in the long run it did help you realize how he could be the same person who destroyed a hotel room after not getting a fight night bonus right yeah, it lets you know where he got his nickname right? yeah now some things are starting to make sense for me about this guy cuz I, I think that that's the thing is he kind of comes off 
when he's doing that as like just some dude who is going to like flip out on you like you're going to be having a cocktail at cubby sampson's uh enjoying your uh mozzarella sticks and you, you look the wrong way over at raging al and next thing you know he's got his shirt off and he's yelling and you're right. like what how did this escalate so quickly what is this guy's problem yeah. he kind of you can kind of see that aspect of his personality leap out right there and you're kind of oh wait i get it now the raging owl thing is not just a funny joke right uh that there's some basis to that and also in typical mma fashion this was yet another situation where the story kind of gets worse the more people try to explain it and or like issue an apology, which obviously Ally Quinta has not done. Uh, but you know, that often happens in MMA. People like try to give an apology and it ends up making everything worse. He goes to the press conference and is unrepentant, right? And like the way he phrases his answer to somebody's question clearly makes it, you know, makes it obvious that he was not just yelling at like the faceless, faceless Virginian crowd, but was like actually yelling at identifiable humans in the audience that he saw flipping him off. And the way that he phrased it at the press conference was that they were quote unquote kids. So that made it sound like he was yelling at small children who had been flipping him off. And then he went on the MMA hour today on Monday, still unrepentant, said that if they had been closer to him, he would, quote unquote, have kicked them in the ass. Uh, and then in kind of a sweet move by Ariel Helwani, he had the two guys that Ally Aquinta flipped off on the phone, at least the guys who claimed that they were the guys that he flipped off or that flipped him off on the phone. They were not, in fact, children, but grown adults. Uh, who referred to their wives and drinking beers at the event. So I assume that they were not 10 and 12 years old, although things could be different down there in Virginia, uh, and apologized to him. He accepted their apology. They said that they thought this was going to end up being a good thing for his career and then said they're going to be raging Al fans for life. So like, and that's one of the things that makes me feel like this, like in retrospect, we're going to look at this and be like, okay, that's the time when Ally Quinta really kind of came into his own in a lightweight division where it's really hard to like make yourself known. That really tells us something, I think, about the psyche of the MMA fan. Like, I'm a fan of this guy for life. Why? Well, I was at this event and I flipped him off and he said, fuck you to me. And then later uh, indicated that he would like to assault me. And I was like, yeah, that's my guy. That's the dude right there. I'm I'm down, down with him for life. You know, so, I don't know. But I think that the thing that was just so baffling about it to me was like, I feel like we've seen this happen before in MMA where you know that they're not really booing you, right? Like, why do you immediately take it there? Why do you go just like from zero to a thousand in your fuck you response to the fans? They're clearly booing like right. they disagree with the decision. Nobody could really fault Ally Aquinta for anything in that fight. I mean, it, it, before that, he comes like he comes off as the guy who he was down in the fight. Things were looking bad for him and he just kind of willed himself back into it. Like even if you don't think that he uh, – deserve to win the decision in the end you can't really fault him for anything he did in that fight and then when he goes out there and yells at people you're like you you kind of removed the focus from what actually happened in the fight you nobody's really talking about that anymore how, yeah. how did you score this one i thought it was 29 28 masvidal like yeah, kind of clearly i thought he won the first two rounds and then i quinta won the third round uh the funny thing was none of the judges had it scored that way uh douglas crosby had a 30 27 for masvidal which is Kind of hilarious. Yeah. And then the other two judges had a 29-28 for, for Ragin' Al. So, like, the, what I thought was the proper score did not appear at all on the judges' scorecards. But, like, just to follow up on your point, this definitely makes, you know, it makes sense now to think 
that Ally Quinta would be a guy who in a room full of other professional mixed martial arts fighters would be the guy who emerges with the nickname Raging Al. Yeah, that does make and, sense. You know, and you can kind of imagine Longo and Sarah laughing about it, right? <laughs> like they know that he does that, so they decided to start calling him Raging Al. Yeah, oh, here comes Raging Al. Uh, you know, speaking though of Masvidal, you know he's upset with that decision. He thinks he deserved to win it. Even though I agree with him and I think that he deserved to win it, um, I do think he has himself to blame for this one. He he took his foot off the he gas did. a little bit there. Uh, it was as if uh, somebody was whispering in his ear, just coast. And, uh, you know, he, he did that and he he could have just gone after it a little more. He allowed Al Aikinta to kind of seize the initiative and, and control the fight while he hung back thinking that, you know, he could just pick him apart uh, as a counterpuncher. And he was doing a pretty good job of that. But I think we've learned that when it comes to close fights and how you're going to convince the judges, uh, you don't want to you want to err on the side of work rate. You know, you don't want to take it too easy or appear to be taking it too easy. And, and he did. Yeah, I just think we got to do it again, brother. And like, unless the UFC wants to punish Ally Aquinta for his outburst against the fans, I feel like it just makes too much sense at this point just to have them rematch. Uh, but let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we'll move on to round number three. Obviously, we talked about it earlier this week. We're going to do something a little bit differently for Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And that's because there were so many Are You Fucking Kidding Me? worthy uh, occurrences at Fight Night 63. Uh, we just made a list and... uh we're going to read those off. Are you fucking kidding me in a row? <clears throat> All right. Let me get my, are you fucking kidding me voice right? All right. You fucking kidding me? All right. There it is. Okay. There it is. Are you fucking kidding me? Diego Fajaya gets knocked silly by Dustin Poirier and then stands up and listens to his half knocked out brain when it tells him it would be a good idea to try to do some weird German, German suplex that just ends up getting him punched a bunch more times. Fucking kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me? How about John Anik telling us, quote unquote, what science will tell you as it relates to your chin and how it stands up to cutting weight? That might be true, I guess. I'm just a little bit uncomfortable with UFC announcers telling me, quote unquote, what science tells us. Fucking kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me? Ray Longo standing there behind Robbie Peralta in that Godfather themed The Bronx t-shirt. Are you fucking kidding me? Clay Guida cutting out like a five second Homer Simpson style burp in his corner between rounds and then apologizing to his new cornermen as if the effete rules of society apply. Here. Fucking kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me? Paul Blart Mall Cop Part 2. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Clay Guida's totally insane and rambling post fight interview. Fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? The UFC is just going to interview Rampage Jackson about his fight at UFC 186 and never once mention that, oh yeah, a judge could still actually bar him from performing at that event. Fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Rampage Jackson is going to sleepwalk his way through said interview and then post on Twitter later so that nobody would know that it was his fault because he just wanted to quote unquote get it over with because the UFC made him do an interview in the morning before training. Fucking kidding me? he loves training so you, much. You may remember, by the way, that we both already told you how this situation ends. Are you fucking kidding me? Rampage Jackson's awesome Mike Tyson punch out t-shirt. Do not make me think about buying a Rampage Jackson t-shirt. Do not do it. 
fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? If Rampage does get pulled from that event, we're going to go ahead and roll with the UFC 186 pay-per-view headlined by Demetrius Johnson versus Kyoji Horiguchi and a co-main event of Michael Bisping versus CB Dalloway. Fucking kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me? Milana Dudavia rolls in there with her plain black undership shirt top with no sponsors on it, looking like a paid opponent who's going to lose to Juliana Pena in four minutes. Fucking kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me? Juliana Pena gets mount and then flails away with double hammer fists and then has the nerve afterward to say that if she hadn't taken a year off, she would already be the champion. Kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me? Two guys with Top Gun themed nicknames and Mike the Maverick Kiesa and Mitch Danger Zone Clark are going to fight and nobody walked out to Kenny Loggins. Kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me? The next season of The Ultimate Fighter, I feel halfway interested in watching you. Fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Douglas Crosby, 3027 for Masvidal. Fucking kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me? Al Iaquinta yelling fuck you at the UFC fans at a live event. Who do you think you are? Dana White. Fucking kidding me. That's going to do it for round two. Woo! We'll be right back with round number three. Ben, well, let's just, I guess, get this out of the way from the beginning. Jan Blankowitz. What are you doing? What are you doing right now? Bartos Fabianski. Don't do this. I'm just saying there's a lot of real Eastern Bloc type names you, on this UFC Krakow card. Krakow! I oh, don't, nice. Yeah. I, Very I, retro. I feel like... Old um, school hip hop 1993 <laughs> sample there. Uh, I think it's, it sounds like a good uh, city name to say like after you think you've totally burned someone. Krakow! <laughs> In yeah. your face. Okay. Maybe the, the UFC will say that to everyone after we watch this card. Who is going to have to – who's the announced team on this one? Is, is, this, oh, is they, a, this is on Fight Pass. They can't put Goldberg on this thing, man. Are you kidding me? It'd be like dropping him off in the middle of the ocean and telling him <laughs> to swim to shore. <laughs> so John Anik has to go over there to Poland and pronounce all these damn names. I bet new, newly established Silver Fox John Anik with his with growing his hair out now to so that he and Dave Schaller are no longer confused with each other. Uh, I bet he nails it. Oh man. wait, he's a professional. John Anik is going to go over there. And and have a flawless victory over this card. But wait, this is fight fight pass Euro, right? Oh, so maybe it's the Dan Hardy, yeah, uh, John Gooden. Is that his name? Yes, I think so. Yes, they'll probably oh. do a good job, right? You just assume that Europeans can all pronounce each other's names, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> <That's, laughs> I mean that's offensive. Well, here's here's a, here's my opening question for you, Ben. When was the last fight pass event before this? Like November of last year, right? Is that the Roy Nelson, Mark Hunt one in Japan? Yeah, maybe. So it's been a good, what, three, four months? Yeah. Since and we got a Fight Pass event? Do you think, is everyone just paying for their Fight Pass every month so they can watch a couple of prelim fights? Well, yeah, and see, that's the thing is you would have only been watching like one or two prelim fights. Like for this last one, there were no Fight Pass fights yeah. on it. Like, so yeah, I mean, if ever there was an argument to be made for just signing up for Fight Pass when you felt like it and then turning it off immediately so you don't get charged during the intervening months. Uh, the, like, 
the space between fight pass cards has really made that case pretty well, I think. Um, and then I guess though, it just makes you like, maybe that's, uh, the UFC finding out either on purpose or more likely accidentally, um, how many subscribers can you carry just on the strength of like fight library? How many, because I, I mean, it's really great resource for people like us who, uh, end up writing about the fights and like you, you think you remember, uh, a fight one way and to be able to just go and immediately find it, uh, and watch the whole thing again and, and kind of refresh your memory or go back and take another look at guys and how they've changed or how they haven't. Uh, it's really great. Like, yeah, you I, could not do that if you just had the internet. Those fights are not on the internet. Everyone, are you being do, sarcastic do not, right now? Do not even try because. Well, no, I mean, the UFC, you think you can just type the name of any UFC fight you want to watch into the internet and it's some, there? Sometimes ah. it's harder than others because the UFC has gotten really aggressive about tracking those down. Uh, but I don't, I mean, like, for me, I, I feel like they've kind of struggled uh, for a while to figure out, like, what are we selling? What's the selling proposition here with Fight Pass? At first, it was like, okay, maybe live events. Um, and then we're not doing so many live events on Fight Pass. Uh, okay, maybe, you know, Netflix for fight fans. It just has all the stuff on here. And then they tried to roll out a bunch of shows. I can't believe anybody's watching those shows. Like, there's just not a whole lot there to, to that, or that seems at all different uh, from any of the stuff that's out there. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd be curious to know what, what average subscriber uh, you know, Joe fight fan feels about fight pass at this point, because we talked about this fight card before you look at it, you know, you got just some nostalgia value with, uh, Gabriel Gonzaga and Miracle Crow Cup going to do it again, brother. Rematching their 2007 fight from UFC 70. It just still seems impossible that this is happening in 2015. Uh, I don't understand this, but it is, uh, other than that, I mean, it's hard to see that this is the kind of thing where somebody who is not signed up for fight pass is going to go, okay, I, you win. Here's my 10 bucks. I got to see this. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those events that seems like it is, uh, geared toward establishing a foothold in Poland in the, the, uh, you know, whatever the host city is. Um, because it just, it does feel like they just threw crow cop on here because of his name and like, you know, whoever was around at the time to fight him, he and Gabe Gonzaga have a, a little bit of a backstory, so it makes sense. Uh, you know, Crow Cobb comes in off back-to-back -back wins, I guess, over Satoshi Ishii uh, in Japan, and Gabriel Gonzaga has lost twice in a row. So um, it's hard to, to find a storyline here, except that at once upon a time, back when we were all children, Gabriel Gonzaga kicked Mirko Crow Cobb upside his head, and... Uh, Mirko Krokop is is from the area, so <laughs> from the area, the Filipovich family is going to turn out to watch him. You know, uh, one thing I did not realize, uh, MMA Junkie's own uh, Mike Bond told me this, uh, and I, you know, it's kind of interesting when you think about it. He says that uh, if you're looking at kind of stats wise on this one, this is Krokop's seventh rematch uh, as a pro fighter. He's never lost one. Interesting. So he gets better. Apparently he gets better. Because he's a um he's just a, a mad dog for strategy. Yeah, that's gotta be Frankie it. Edgar style. Once once he's been in there and seen what you got, ain't no way. Ain't no way. You might beat Miracle Crow Cop once, maybe. So beat him twice? No. Is this a one off appearance for the forty year old Crow Cop? Or if he does walk away with a victory? Over the uh, 35-year-old Gabriel Gonzaga, does he become... Gabriel Gonzaga's only 35. Hard to believe, isn't it? It's the mustache that makes him look older. 
Uh, does 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 he become a player in the UFC's senior laden heavyweight division, where a lot of those seniors have senioritis? You know what, man? I didn't we talk about this before that when the UFC re-signed Krokop, it kind of s- smelled like a let's keep this guy away from Bellator kind of signing. Because you know they they would take him. Oh yeah, Bellator. Oh Krokop, man, you kidding me? Krokop against. Uh, Kimbo Slice? Book it. Would watch. Would watch. Uh, yeah. So, I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to imagine that Crow Cop goes out there, beats Gabriel Gonzaga, and, you know, then we're talking about the rebirth of Mirko Filipovich. Like, I, it seems to me like he, what he's probably telling himself is one of those things of how he was disappointed and his, how his UFC run shaped up. Uh, and he wants to end on a better note the way all the old fighters tell themselves that, forgetting that the reason that nobody ends on a better note is because you get older and the notes just get sourer and sourer. Uh, so I don't know, man. I, I would really be curious to know what in his private moments alone in the dark of his bedroom, which I imagine is just four like completely spare concrete walls sleeping on a mattress on the floor, uh, with one thin blanket, lest he become too soft from a life of luxury. Uh, Mirko Krokop staring up at the blank ceiling. What does he tell himself he's doing right now? Does he tell himself he's making a little more money? Does he tell himself, you know, he's just, do, you know, you got to have something to do? Or does he tell himself that uh, there's one last good run of the old man and, and he's going to get the most out of it? I think he's telling himself he's going to make some green American dollars, which will go a long way at home. And then pretty soon he's going to show up at a Dave and Buster's, sit next to Fedor and sign some autographs, play Mark Coleman in ski ball. I think that's probably about as far as his plan goes. You know, at the beginning of this show, we mentioned how it was awesome that the UFC did a show that started at 11 a.m. in the one true time zone. If you got the fight pass and you got nothing to do in the middle of the afternoon on Saturday, this could be, you know, your Huckleberry. This starts at 1 p.m on the uh in the the mountain time zone. So, you know, maybe this will be another low impact, low expectation uh situation where UFC fans can just check in if they if they want to, watch a couple of the of of their old favorites and a bunch of other guys that vaguely sound Polish, even though some of them are Seth Bekinski from Honolulu, Hawaii, the Polish Pistola. Uh they can watch them do the damn thing and then still have, you know, still Put on their their like silver blazer and tight pants and go out to the clubs later. Oh, that's a frightening image of what you think goes on at the clubs. That's <laughs> not what most most UFC fans look like. Sure, put on their skinny jeans and their purple blazers and yeah, bow ties. And go out to the clubs. Absolutely, is what they do. You know, hearing you describe a possible end game scenario for for Mirko Krokop that involves hanging out at a Dave and Buster's playing skee ball with Mark Coleman and and signing autographs with Fedor while they yuck it up about the good old days. I mean, that sounds like the best case scenario for all those guys. Like you say it almost as if it's just like a, you know, the sad but inevitable ending. I see it as like that's that's the finish line you you aim for. If you're an MMA fighter to become a big enough star that you can just hang out in a Dave and Buster's and get paid for it afterwards, that's that's about as good as it gets. That's yeah, like one no, step that's... down from getting one of those cushy UFC jo- jobs where they pay you to quit fighting and you never have to show up to work. That it's an amazing position to get, frankly. Like it's a shame that there's not somebody else offering those jobs out there making the the old school guys feel welcome. Uh 
you know, we were talking about if you if you got nothing else to do, this is actually, you know, there's a lot of MMA on this weekend, even if you don't have Fight Pass Friday night. Uh, Bellator 136 featuring a lightweight title fight between Will Brooks and the fugitive Dave Jansen. Wait, the fugitive? Yeah, you remember Dave Jansen? He's an old school Team Quest guy from out there in Portland. Uh, we've, we probably watched him fight, unbeknownst to us, <laughs> okay. at a sport fight someday. He's fighting for the Bellator lightweight title. He also got, uh, there's an RFA this weekend on Friday. There's a World Series of Fighting with their guy Dave Branch. So, a lot of stuff going on. Not just this thing in Krakow. Krakow! All right, well, let's do Just Saying Stuff, Ben, and uh, then we can get out of here for this week. What's your Just Saying Stuff this week? Well, Chad, I'm sure that you've heard by now that the UFC announced that uh, it, it made a, a big-time hire in former DEA investigator and IRS agent Jeff Nowitzki, uh, who is going to join the UFC as, quote, vice president of athlete health and performance. Uh, from the UFC's press release, Nowitzki will spearhead the development of the organization's clean initiative education program, which somehow those words are supposed to translate to drug testing. Yeah. I don't know how. I don't know how you 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 read the words clean initiative education program and are supposed to know that it has anything at all to do with an anti-doping effort, but apparently that's what they're going to do. Now I'm just saying for the people who don't know Jeff Novitsky, uh he's kind of big time in the field of uh doping investigations. Uh was involved in bringing down Balco uh was involved in and in getting after uh getting all up in Lance Armstrong shit uh so to speak. And his methods and motives have been criticized uh, a little bit. Uh, there's a good New York Times report about that from a few years ago. I'm just saying, taking a guy who has a reputation for being uh, maybe a little too aggressive and maybe cutting a little corners and, and, and zeroing in on people and not really being too concerned with how he gets them, but just getting them in the end, and taking him to a private company like the UFC, which has kind of a, a reputation itself uh, for not always having the respect of the individual athlete at the forefront. I'm just saying things could get interesting there. I'm just saying. Just saying. That makes it sound to me like that guy's going to fit right in. He's a maverick, does his own thing. Yeah. The rules don't apply to him. That's right. It sounds like they got their man. And now we have the UFC instituting its own drug testing program of its own employees where nobody really uh, feels like they can – argue against it or speak out against it. And they put this guy who's pretty aggressive in charge. I don't know, man. Some heads might be about to roll. Sounds like a perfect hire for them. Ben, speaking of guys named Chad, besides myself and Chad Mendez on the aforementioned Bellator card on Friday night, you have to look pretty far down the list of fights to notice, but Chad, the Savage George is fighting Mark, Mark Vorgius. Nailed Nailed it. it. Uh, and this will be Chad George's first fight back in a major promotion since he got cut from the WEC back in 2010. Fight, fight fans might remember him from the, uh, 2011 docu- documentary Occupation Fighter, which I believe is available on Netflix. I think that's where I have seen him and chronicled his lead up to, uh, a loss against Scott Jorgensen way back in the day in the WEC. And man, Chad George is the kind of dude that I feel a little bit bad for. This guy just missed in 
2008 and 2009 when he went went six and zero and then lost back to back fights. He got cut in September of 2010, exactly one month before the UFC announced it would absorb the WEC at the beginning of 2011. And since then, he's gone four and two, but all in smaller promotions. The guy's only 32 years old. I'm just saying, I'd like to see some good stuff happen to Chad George and Bellator. Uh, not just because we have the same name, but because it seems like he has gotten kind of a raw deal in out of those guys that all came over from the WEC. Just saying. You know what you are? You're a mark for Chad's. That's true. Chad sympathizer. That's right. Over here. Unabashed. Unafraid to admit it. You know what, though? That's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be back next week to break down everything that happens at uh, the UFC show in Krakow and look ahead to uh, whatever happens the week after that. Krakow! As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. You're a Chad fanboy. Yes, I am. Sympathizer. Say again what the UFC drug testing policy is called. Uh, let's see here. Uh, now I have to look it up here. It sounds like a, a bill that some politicians